Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. A recovering male porn addict, 28 years young, and my boyfriend of two years, and I have some challenges. I have been um, mentally writing off our relationship because of what I experienced as incongruities. He's glass half empty. I'm half opposite. So, okay. Um, I notice our difference is to push him. Okay. Okay. Hope there's three here. We both have mental health conditions. I'm in therapy, group therapy, and go to 12 step. He recently started talk therapy. Yay. But he is an insomniac, so it makes him hard to deal with in the morning. And because he doesn't have a lot of resources, dating him at times feels like a therapy session. He lost his job of five years earlier this year and was already fragile before that happened. So he is constant emotional turmoil, always on the verge of tears and regularly fighting suicidal ideation. That's highly problematic. That combined with our incongruities causes me to resent him. And instead of saying, you're too much for me. I punish him by being passive aggressive. I try to coach myself into staying because he is good where it counts. But lately it's been hard for me to hold space for all that comes with us being together. I've been trying to discern whether it's my intimacy avoidance that pushes him away, or if I'm really just don't want to be with him anymore. Any thoughts? Sorry. So long. Okay. Do we so, know how long they've been together? A 28 years. Young, um, oh, two years. Yes. Two years. Two years. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, uh, this is an interesting question, Tammy. I'm glad we're actually yeah. talking about a relationship and not just sexual acting yes. out. Not that we're not glad yeah. to talk about that. So there's a couple of ways to look at this. Um, one of the things that came to mind is something a therapist once said, said to me. Um, I had broken up with someone years and years and years ago. And of course, I was in that stage of, oh, why did I do that? And was it the right thing? And maybe we were right for each other and all that crazy stuff, which is understandable when you get lonely. And I went to my therapist who I'd been complaining to the, about, to the, uh, who I'd com been complaining about the relationship to for a while. And I said to my therapist, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe we should be together. Maybe. And he said this to me, I never forgot. He said, you know, you are who you are and they are who they are together. You are who you are together. There are things that can be improved. You can improve communication. You can improve moods. You can improve circumstances. You can improve you know, uh, who gives more and who gives less, all of the dynamics of a relationship, how we fight, you know, what kind of sex we have. I mean, that's all negotiable. And if someone has challenges in those areas, they can go to therapy, they can work on it, you know, whatever that is. But who you are is who you are. And we get along or we don't. We're attracted to someone or we aren't. Um, that's just kind of how it goes. So if, you know, only you can determine if the issues that you're talking about are circumstantial and have to do with the job issue and him just starting therapy and, you know, or whether this is fundamentally not a, a good match. Um, now, two years is a while, but two years is also when some of the magic starts to wear off. You know, two years in a relationship, I can be good around two years. And this may have nothing to do with intimacy. It's just human nature. I start to really see who that is. And then I start to pick on them. Oh, well, I've been with them two years and now they're like this and they're like that. And you sort of start to see the stuff you didn't see before or worse, all the stuff you loved before, I hate them for it. So again, I can't tell you what's right and what's wrong. Um, some, I will say this, Tammy, you love this, but when this person wrote a recovering addict, me, mm -hmm. having some challenges in relationship, everybody does. 
mentally writing off a relationship. I think I do that every day on some level. Um, okay, now to my relationship. He's my husband's half full and I'm half empty. Tell me, tell tell you for sure I'm half empty. Um, what else does it say? I'm not a morning person. My husband gets up at six thirty in the morning every day. It drives me insane. I don't go to bed till midnight. That's how we are. Um, I love mornings. I hate mornings. Tammy knows this. I just don't want to talk. I, I don't schedule. I don't even get yeah, right. It's, it's Thank not you, but I'll work it. till midnight. Yeah. Um, and even and though I'm we do fun things then, together. So, yeah. so here's the fundamental stuff. I love this. Even though we do fun things together and he is loyal, faithful, thoughtful, loving, and demonstrated. Um, I notice that I use our differences to push him, I assume, away. So that to me is more important than, you know, I just want to say like, my husband's a morning person, I'm an evening person. We both go to therapy. We're both on meds. We both have terrible childhoods. We both have trauma. Um, you know, these are not that unusual for people like us who are challenged. The question is, you know, if you are using your differences to push him away, that does feel a little bit like an intimacy issue. Because when I start to say, as I said, well, I don't like this and I don't like that. And we've had two years of pretty good time. Something's going on with me or it may be something going on with them in combination. Like maybe he lost his job. I'm making this up. And you starting to feel like your partner's too dependent. So you start pushing them away because they're depending on you financially or they're not, are they, they're home all day and you get home and it's just, that's their whole day. Or, you know, that's a dependency issue that may have shifted when he lost his job, but that doesn't mean that's who he is. So circumstances and how we act in certain circumstances or our abilities to communicate and get along are very different things than fundamentally, are you the kind of person I want to be with? And I got to say, I would want to be with someone who's loyal, faithful, thoughtful, loving, and demonstrates it. That's not typical for uh, a lot of the relationships, sadly, that we end up in. So, uh, well, at least us addicts. So Tammy, what are your thoughts? I like this relationship. No, I, yeah, I think there was a lot. A lot I, I love what you were sharing. So, you know, um, but I, I, I was thinking, because you're doing therapy and 12 steps, what a great opportunity for you to look at, because you can't take his inventory, but man, you sure can take a look at, you know, the things about you. And, you know, I've shared this before, you know, the serenity prayer is, you know, I have control over my actions and reactions. I have no control over anybody else. And my level of serenity is directly impacted by my desire to, you know, work on everyone else. So, so I would encourage you to look at, you know, are there things that you can do? Can you communicate in a meaningful way? You know, not, not to be confronted, but just like, okay, this is a sticking point for us. So how do we you know, how do we get through this? Or this is my expectations. A lot of it is, you know, the communication and Dr. Rob talked about, those are things you can work on and you can grow together in. So um, no one's perfect. If you're looking for the perfect partner, that's never going to drive you nuts. They're, they're not there, you know, so they're, they're not. Well, you've that's often heard fallacy. me say, and, and I just want to build on what Tammy just said. If I can find someone and look, I've done a lot of things in my time. I've been lots of people, both romantically and sexually. Um, what I know is this, to find someone you get along with, who you enjoy, who is a reasonable human being, who you can spend days and days and days together, not to mention weeks and nights, and that is rare. It's one of the reasons why I encourage a lot of folks to stay in their relationships is it's brutal out there. And I mean that. I mean, not only the process of finding someone, but I remember hearing once, and I always thought this, that dating is a numbers game. 
You can't date three people and find the right person. You got to date 15 people to find the right person or more. And so there is another side of this coin, which is what is the alternative? Do you want to toss? I, I saw this, by the way, I have to go back to it. Um, 28 years young, probably more than 28 years, whatever. Um, you're 28. That's about the time that people, is that right, Tony? 28? Is that, that's about the time that people settle down. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of folks, 28, 30, they look for a long-term relationship. That's sort of developmentally where we are. Um, I don't know how many people you've dated, how much experience you've had. The one more thing I want to say, we should move on is couples therapy. This is a, I would not want to end my relationship or be certain if I'm going to move to marriage or whatever without in this situation without sitting with a couples therapist for you know a couple of months and saying and by the way you can do couples every other week you don't have to do it every week but just really figuring out what it is you want what it is you need and whether this person can give it to you or not and vice versa um, you may be having a hard time you know people have that if you've been dating for five years or gotten married and you asked this question, you would know that this hard time is gonna pass, that it's just a blip in a long, but two years, you may not have seen this before. So lots of unanswered questions, but good for you for being in a two year relationship. Um, you know, the kudos to you, especially for porn addicts who tend to isolate and not build relationships. So great stuff, glad you're asking the right questions, more information needed in your own life, figure this out. Okay. Next question, my husband, this person writes, just started treatment with us, uh, married 20 years, supposed to write an impact letter, don't want to increase his shame, just starting his residential treatment. It's hard to believe, this is really the question, it's hard to believe a man that claims to love me could have done everything I'm exploring for the impact letter. Please explain compartmentalizing. If he really does not love me or does, how would I know? He lies about nearly everything to work to his advantage. That's called addiction. Our, our clinical director runs around and says, tell the truth and tell it faster. And it's about everything. It isn't just about the sexual acting out. It's, it's problematic. We lie to ourselves and everyone else. So, but Dr. Rob, what are your, what are your oh, thoughts on Oh, hold on, on a this? second. Um, okay, so oh, I went ahead. Sorry about that. Uh, da, 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 da. It's in the open. Okay, no, I, I got it. Um, so, a couple of things. What I wrote down was seven-year-old. So you have to understand that addicts are like seven-year-olds. You know, we took the cookie out of the jar. We lied that we took it. You see a trail of crumbs from the kitchen. We say, I don't know where those came from, mommy. You know, we look to be dependent on others in ways that we're not independent. Um, so a lot of what you're seeing, that's the kind of childlike behavior, the lies, the secrets, the it, think of a child, because that's a part. And yes, that's compartmentalized. In the world, we look like, you know, we are pretty much getting along doing our thing, but emotionally, which you can separate from intellectual, we're not so old, and we're not so good. And the hardest good at doing this, and the hardest part, because you may say, oh, well, well, he gets along well with people at work, or, you know, he gets along well with our friends. The hardest part is going to be with you, because you're the one who scares us the most. You're the one who can threaten us the most. You're the one who can bring up all the trauma that we have from the past because you're the most important per to, person to us. So guess who we're gonna to lie to the most? Guess who we're gonna keep the most secrets from is the person that we're actually afraid could hurt us, let us down and leave. Now the question comes up always, how could you love me and do this to me? And that is compartmentalization. That is being an addict. Take the sex out. I know this is so hard for you spouses and say someone is a severe heroin addict or an alcoholic or just 
making a mess all over the place and they're not home they're driving drunk with the kids and you know and you might say how can he or she love me and drink like that how can they love me and still use drugs if they knew how much important the family was and i was they would stop all that well they're not going to stop all of it because the most important relationship they have is not with you it's with their addiction and so you know you come in second and that's the case when we're addicts um you're asking to come in first as you should, but that transition takes a while. So back to your question, um, write what happened to you. So let me say this, sorry. I read impact letters and well, let me back up and say what they are. I'm very verbal today. It's An impact good. letter is when we are in treatment, when I am working with someone in seeking integrity, their spouses, if they have one, we ask them to send a letter and that is an impact letter. And what it is, it's a page or two, hopefully, double spaced, not 12 pages, single spaced, but it's a letter describing what your life has been with this person who's in treatment and how you and your family have been impacted. So I often read, you know, you yell at me when I want to be heard. You, you disappear when we're trying to be close to each other. I feel like you're this. I feel like you're that. I, I hear this. You do this in front of the kids. All, and, you know, what I hear a lot from the guys, because we run a male treatment center, is, well, I've heard all of that before. And my first set question is, well, why didn't you listen? That's one of my first things. But the second thing is, um, but when I hear it here, when I hear it in front of this group of men and you are reading it, it's completely a revelation to me. I never, and I hear this all the time, I never really got, did I really hurt my children? Did I really scare my spouse? Did I, we don't get it because what we're doing is defending the addiction. And so we're lying, we're cheating, whatever we're doing so that you don't push us off the dime of the thing we most want to do, which is act out. But in treatment, we're trying to not act out. And part of helping us not act out is for us to squarely and fully look at our consequences. And when you send that letter and you say, whatever happened to you and your family and that you were a loving person and you've been turned into someone you never expected to be and all that stuff, that is powerful, good information for us in treatment. And let me say one more thing about shame. Um, shame is, so Brene Brown will not like this, but I, as far as I'm concerned with addicts, shame is selfish. It's a way to distract myself from what's important. So let's say I read an impact letter in treatment, your impact letter, and my and I say to the client, how do you feel right now? And they say, oh my God, I'm so ashamed. I feel so terrible about everything that's happened. Okay, what does that mean? What do you feel bad about? So I'm pursuing someone after reading the impact letter. And they say things to me like, well, I can't believe I turned out to be this person. And I, I just hate myself for this. And I never wanted to be that. And of course, that's all about them. You know, I'm waiting for them to say, I can't imagine what my wife has gone through. I can't imagine what my lover, my friends, my family, that is empathy. When I turn on myself, as a therapist said to me once, there's no there there. I can go round and round. They call it a shame spiral. I can go round and round and down and down, but nobody's in there but me. I have to, one of the best ways to move out of shame is to think about someone else and what they're going through. It's one of the reasons we do service in the 12 step program. So I would not be ashamed, nor should you, uh, I would not be concerned, nor should you be about what you write. You write anything that you need to write. This is your voice in treatment. There'll be others, you have family sessions and all that, but this is how we can literally bring you into the room and say to your spouse, is this who you meant to be? Because this is how your family experiences you. So don't worry about the shame because hopefully we're gonna turn that into an opportunity for them to understand what you're going through and not what they've been through. And, uh, and you need to have a voice. You need to say what you need to say. And we don't edit, 
Um, by the way, most of the gents I work with end up in tears because they, everyone is looking at them like, wow, you did that and you say you love your family and wow, you are really troubled. And they get how troubled they are. So don't hold back, say what you need to say. Um, compartmentalizing is what we do to protect our addiction. And it sounds like all of this is right on track. By the way, thank you for coming to Seeking Integrity. I think that for the most part, we change lives. So if someone is willing, we can change lives. And I know that for a fact. So Tammy, thoughts I do about too. this? Well, the only thing I want to add, because that, that, that was very helpful, but the only thing I want to add is we don't leave those guys, you know, just in their shame and, and you know, oh, you're so broken. So, so like the, the rest of the story is, there's a community of guys that are able to support them. The therapists are there. Just, it's, I, I use the term safely cocooned. The guys are safely cocooned with us so that they can tolerate hearing that and really hear it and get support to be able to, 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 to start owning, you know, that behavior. So, so you're hearing snippets. Don't think that it's, oh, it's this or that. It's like, it's a whole process with expert clinicians you know, there, there's no other treatment program in the world that has the level of clinical expertise that, that we has do. Me. So, so it, <laughs> well, and, and doctor, I mean, like you look at the entire team, it's everybody and it's all part of it the, is the team. you know, uh, it's all part of it. it. Yeah. And, and it's intentional. Dr. Rob created it and obviously is there, you know, working directly with the clients, but, but it really is the whole process because these guys, you know, it's not just they've been doing this acting out for a couple of years. It's problems and issues that were problems for them, you know, when they were a young kid. And so they've found maladaptive coping mechanisms that it served them in many ways until it didn't. Now it's really driving the wedge between you and him. And it's also hurting him and you and makes the whole mess. So help having the clinicians be able to it's not just stopping the behavior. You know, people go to alcohol and drug rehab all the time. Stop the behavior and you're in recovery. This is looking holistically at all of the issues so that they have a plan, not just to stop this problematic behavior, but not just switch automatically to another one as well. So, so we're grateful you, but it's what day one. So, you know, yeah. trust the process. This is not, you know, he's, yeah, this is well, the first one, few days so. is get me out of here. I don't belong here. Yeah. I'm in the wrong place. They can't help me. You know, that's their fear and their anxiety. Yeah, one more absolutely. thing about what, about what Tammy said, yeah. which is you yeah. have to understand after, after those letters are read, other men raise their hand and say, wow, I was here last week and my letter was read and I know exactly how you're feeling, yeah. but I'm not feeling that way anymore because I have worked yeah. on it. I've thought about it so there is another side to this mm -hmm. um the first response will be i hate myself i'm terrible but we are as tammy said all over that and cocooning and supporting and also challenging you know it mm -hmm. is crappy behavior you are responsible for that but everyone gets a you're not a bad person you're a broken person mm -hmm. and boy when you send people to our treatment center by the time they get to us they're pretty broken so give us yeah. some time um, and don't take too much that they say seriously because they're all over the place, you know, um, right now, anyway, in the beginning. Okay. Next <clears throat> question. Hi, Dr. Rob. My husband exclaimed, because you are not my type when discussing his sexual interests, I am not his type physically as a wife. Why would his issues regarding porn addiction and his type be actually related in real life concepts like marriage? Why as a wife should I stick around? even though he claims he loves me, but I am not his type. You that want to cruel. start that one, Tammy? Well, I just, I find that to be so cruel, but I also find it to be justification for, well, I love you, but 
this porn stuff is my type. And so therefore I have, I have the excuse and I selfishly and immaturely get to go look at porn because if you were, if you were just my type, it would be fine. And, and you were never be his type. I mean, you, no human being can live up to what porn is. So, so no mere mortal can, can do that. So, so that sounds like denial and justification and blame shifting and gaslighting and all of the very, but very cruel. So I, I, I'm, I'm hurt for you. Well, I, I, I also want to add that. What is it? We don't even know what our type, let's say this. We are so used to approaching sexuality through intensity and the new, new experience and the person we don't know, or with the porn, it's just, you know, paper doll after paper doll after paper doll. Those aren't real people. Those aren't really experiences as you know. So uh, nobody looks like that. You know, most of that is not real. I know some porn folks and some sex workers, they, they ain't real. Um, plus the way it's shot and the way it's filmed. So what I hear is someone who's in a lot of fantasy. I mean, like that real life people, you know, I don't know about you, but I've been a marriage for a while and my body doesn't look the way it did 20 years ago. Um, but I have someone who loves me and loves who I am now. And the fact that they hold the memory and experience of who we were together then and we, who we're together now. So, yeah, I think this is a way to shove you away and say it's your fault, because if you were my type, I wouldn't be doing all of this. And you know, I don't want to say those two FY words that aren't very nice, but um, this is a very mean thing to do. And I would say something like, I don't want to hear any of this. You can take that somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think for, I would encourage you healthy boundaries for you. We have a betrayed partner work group starting again on Wednesday, um, uh, six weeks with other betrayed partners. Angela Spearman leads it from a pro-dependent lens. So there's no blaming we don't blame you. It's um, uh, we are not looking to blame or shame or tell you you're an enabler or part of the problem. It's you know as Dr. Rob said in the previous um, answer, it's, it's brokenness on his part. But you, you working on your safety, you know, I would strongly encourage. So, okay, I've been in a relationship with my essay for 15 years and have been a betrayed partner for several years. My essay went to the movies by himself yesterday at 5.45 show and didn't get back home until 9.45 p.m. <laughs> the last I knew the movies only last about two hours. He tells me he went for a drive to clear his head. Today, I asked him to show me his bank transaction from yesterday to reassure me he was being honest. He refuses to show me his transaction. I learned to never ignore my intuition. Am I wrong to think I got the answer when he won't reassure me by showing me his bank transaction from yesterday? We have separate bank accounts. I call BS. I agree. Yeah. And what Dr. Rob wrote, in the liar, chat? liar, pants on fire. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. You know yeah. that no, this I agree. person is, you know, he's acting up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. if, you know, it's one thing to do it and not own it, but I mean, it's so obvious, like, you know, this is someone who's gotten so far into their addiction that they're not even doing a good job of lying anymore. Um, and that's sort of a point where you got to say, wow, they are desperate. Um, yeah. he knows what you think and what you believe. He is so out of control that he thinks somehow he can, you know, not just pull wool over your eyes. I mean, this is like, you know, I don't know, transparent, like a piece of glass he's trying to pull over your eyes. It's not going to go anywhere. So um, this is a treat. I don't hear anything as Tammy would say. I don't.
on hearing about recovery, healing, therapists, how you're managing this, support groups, 12-step. How are you getting the support to have not just um, not just the insight, but the strength to feel um, more, uh, feel like there's ability to confront or challenge or take better care of yourself? Because nobody deserves this kind of lying. And what are you going to do? Stand there and say, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. How long can you do that before you just end up being at, mad at yourself? So... Tammy? Yeah. I, so I, it's one of those where I'm, I am very conflicted because I'm going like, why does he get to have his bank account? You having your own separate bank account, I, you earned the right, but why, why are you not on his account? You, like there, there doesn't seem to be anything put into place to provide you any level of trust. So I, I hear you when you say, um, you've been a betrayed partner for several years. It may be even longer than that. I mean, who knows? I don't hear any recovery work in this. I haven't heard other than, you know, maybe he is telling you he stopped, which of course is not, you know, it's worthless. Um, so trust your intuition. Absolutely. And I think you need to, what is your healthy boundary around? If you, you know, if you aren't able to show me your transaction, what does that mean? What are the you know, what does the, for your safety, financially, physically, I mean, who knows what he was doing. Um, so what do you need to do for you? I just okay. want to add, I hope that you're not having yeah. sex. Yes. Because if you're having sex and it's not protected, who knows where he is or what he's doing? I think that's really important. They also have track GPS trackers on our phones. And I say to the spouses, if you don't trust your spouse, track them. That's not codependent. That's finding out if you're safe or not. I don't believe in codependency. Mm -hmm. I believe you track us to see, you know, are you okay? Are we okay? So tell them, I absolutely believe you. You know, I understand what you did, but I, I'd like to track you now so I can feel better and see how that one goes over. Because someone who doesn't have anything to hide has no reason why you couldn't see or hear anywhere they went. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.